Psalm 59 tonight, ideologies. And uh, I don't think we think of the Bible as being an ideology. But it is just a godly ideology. It emanates from God himself. But then there's a worldly ideology that says we don't need God. And if your ideology doesn't have God at the center of it, then you really don't have a worthwhile ideology. Uh, you end up spinning out of control just like we are today. Now, we're seeing the effects of going green. We're seeing the effects of globalism. Lahaina is an example of wokeism when it's in control. They were more concerned about the equity of the distribution of water than they were about getting enough sufficient water there to keep the homes from burning to the ground or lives being lost. Also, I mean, there was a number of problems that were there because a lot of the money was sent there to look after fire prevention was spent on going green. But that's the woke agenda, their ideology is that somehow they are going to save the world. When I get news to them, there's going to be a big fire coming one day. Amen. They just need to read uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses uh, 9, 10, 11, and so on. And so I don't pay any attention to those, those, those idiotic ideas that they've got, how they're going to save the planet. Our concern is about seeing souls get saved. For when that day comes when God says enough is enough and he shuts everything down and takes the church and the body to heaven and uh, eventually a new heavens and a new earth come down because the former heavens and former earth are passed away according to Revelation chapter 21. So as we open up Psalm 59, I think it's good, it is good to see that a number of David's psalms are both political and spiritual. Now, some are purely spiritual and some are really political in nature in that there is a point in which politics will find itself diametrically in confrontation with spiritual principles and spiritual truth. Now, if I was to listen to the wheezy, queasy Christians of this day and age who say that you can't mix politics and religion, I would say to them, that's why we have what we have. Because we have taken a back seat somewhere and we have refused to stand up against wickedness in high places. Whether you're a Democrat, whether you're Republican, or whether you're a, an independent. Or somewhere out in the Looney Tooney world out there somewhere. When you see wickedness, it doesn't make any difference what label that individual has. We're supposed to acknowledge it, preach against it if, it, if it's a contrary to the word of God. And not sit back and be pushed in the corner and tell someone, have someone tell you that you just can't, you can't do that. Um, and I know we probably have lost a few people because I tend to get a little bit political from time to time. But listen, uh, we can't cut Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. We can't cut Amos and Jonah and those other ones. We can't, we can't cut them out of the Bible because really, I mean, those are very political books. But they're also very spiritual. And... Uh, these men got after the kings and the princes, didn't they? I mean, they, they went to town and they hold the corn with these guys. 
So politics from a worldly perspective is often driven by the ideology of the unsaved rather than the redeemed. And that's why we have some of the policies that we have. No one could have dreamed 40 years ago, 50 years ago, that you'd have an application significant other. That would have dreamed it. And so other things that would be included in there and a society that fully embraces people living together because they think they ought to live together and try it out to see if it's going to work. You know, I found out that things don't work too well when there isn't any commitment. If there is no real genuine commitment to something, then the first glitch, you're going to bail out. You're going to jump overboard. You're not going to try to work through the problem. So I don't see anywhere in the Bible where God says, give it a shot, see if it works. If it doesn't work, go to the next one along the way. Marriage is a commitment, amen? And when you make that commitment, you're making a covenant, you better work on it. They make sure that you keep the covenant. And so this becomes the point of contention between the saved and the unsaved and how a nation is to be governed and its people to live out their lives. In the early founding of America, you were shamed if you didn't pay your bills. If you were a slacker and didn't pay your bills, you were, you were shamed. If you were an adulteress or an adulterer, you were shamed. Some went to prison. Some were given a scarlet red uh, branded on them. Um, all kinds of things because they believed that we should be a moral society. Now, whether how they handled things, whether it was right or wrong, the idea is that at least the, under, the underlying premise was that they understood that, that, that for, uh, for a nation to survive, it has to have a solid, permanent foundation of morality and of righteousness. Even those who may not have had a personal relationship with the person of Jesus Christ, but when the, you look at the framers of the Constitution of the United States, they at least recognized that there was a superior being called God. Now, whether or not they believed all the other tenets that may come along with believing that there is a God and believing what the Bible has to say, is it, but they recognized that someday they'd stand before God and give an account. And so they at least knew that there was a right, there was a wrong. And there was a difference between the two, and there was no, no overshadowing or gray areas in between. And so the godless, or those who want little to nothing to do with godly values, godly principles, they see themselves as the arbiters of what is right or wrong, moral or immoral. So now we have our young people saying, well, you know, especially if you're a parent and you have a Bible uh, foundation and uh, your children want to take up and want to live together before they're married together for one thing or another. And uh, you say that's not right. That's not scriptural. They don't care because now they say, well, it's okay with the law. It's okay with our government. Our government doesn't care. My government doesn't care about a lot of things that ought to be caring about. Amen. But, it comes to, but God always cares. And God still does care. And that's the answer. Say, well, God still cares. And I mean, we could. That's just an example of many other different areas as we as we come along near that. That with our with our country today, really uh, up is down and down is up. Uh, right is wrong and wrong is right. Uh, so we know that from Isaiah chapter five verses uh, 20, 20 and twenty one twenty two for sure. But there usually is that downward spiral of evil and rebellion against God. And this is a generation that is in rebellion against God. 
Many professing believers are in rebellion against God. This is a rebellious generation. Israel became more and more adamant in their rebellion against God as they began to approach the time when God was raising up uh, Sennacherib or the Assyrians or, or uh, King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And they knew it. I mean, hey, word was traveling. Hey, this is an upgrowing coming down there, and they're looking to be conquerors of everything this way and that way. And so, I mean, uh, when the Assyrians came up there and they took off uh, Samaria and carried them off there and they took off the ten tribes of Israel, you would have thought Judah and Benjamin would have said, oh, wait a minute. This doesn't look good for us. But, you know, foolishly thinking, but we have God to ourselves. Well, having God to yourself also means that you're listening. It means that you're following. That means that you're being obedient. Doesn't mean that you could be rebellious against God and simply say, well, I've got God and, and we have our temple and, and, and we do these offerings, do these sacrifices, but the Lord described it perfectly. He, uh, he, when he said that, uh, uh, that though they could speak with their mouth, it was, it was far from their heart. Their heart was not in it. Their heart was elsewhere. It was in idolatry and everything else. And so America is in that downward spiral. And I don't know if there's any hope of an upward spiral, to be quite honest with you. Uh, I would like to see a conservative individual. I'd like to see a godly man get in the White House. I'd like to see a, a, a godly individual for vice president. I'd like to see a godly individual, uh, individual uh, in, uh, in the Senate and in the Houses as well. But that's going to be in the hands of the Lord, isn't it? We need to be praying and we need to be working and paying attention to who's running for what, what they believe and what they don't believe. And so Paul here is addressing the Jews in his day. And he writes to his spiritual son, Timothy. And I'm jumping ahead a little bit here. Um, and get an idea how if we turn, I mentioned it on Sunday, if we turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And it will make sense here in a little bit. Second Timothy chapter 3, looking in verse 1. And so we ought not to be surprised about some of the events that are going on around us. It should drive us certainly to more concern and more prayer. But Paul says to Timothy, he said, This know also that in the last days... Now, I don't know what Paul had an understanding as far as the last days... But as far as I'm concerned, it's irrelevant whether he thought it might be in his lifetime or whether it's going to be in our lifetime almost 2,000 some odd years later. The last days are the last days. That's when God the Father is going to send God the Son and gather his church together. But he says, this know also that in the last days perilous times, what? Shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinence, fears, despisers of those that, that, that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such, he says, turn away. So, we see that if we were to read on, uh, in uh, chapter 3 and verse 1 through 8. Verse 8, this is what he says in verse 8. Now as Jannes and Jambres, which were the two, uh, uh, what do you want to call them, the uh, servants of Pharaoh, who duplicated the first couple of uh, uh, miracles that Moses had done. And so he says there, it says, and now as Jannes and Jambres, 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 Jambres withstood Moses, 
so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But he says there, uh, resist, uh, do, do these also resist the truth. But also, if you look in Romans chapter 13, 2, as we go on back towards uh, Psalm, but in, uh, in uh, Paul is speaking, Pages up one time. Uh, chapter 13 and verse 2, it says, verse, uh, verse uh, uh, 1 says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, the power, the powers that are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Again, we see that word resist. Now, we, we resist godlessness. We want to see godliness, not godlessness when it comes down to it. But so many folks squawk that you can't mix religion and politics, and yet the Word of God gives ample example after example of what happens when we divorce the two, religion or faith, from politics. Now, I'm talking about the exercise of faith, a belief in God, that there's going to be an, uh, a day we're going to give an account to God and that even governments are to be subject to God as well. And God raised a great number of prophets to encourage and to rebuke worldly pastors, unrighteous religious leaders and others, be they kings or princes, uh, concerning unrighteousness. So uh, whether they were those who stood in the pulpit or whether they were those who... Uh, were in positions of authority spiritually or in secular jobs, if you will, such as a king or princes or governors or whatever else, um, they were to be godly. And they don't have free reign to be godless or to make exceptions for things of the, of the Lord or for the exercise of one's faith. But in Psalm 59, God is using David to tackle this topic of being intimidated by others because we align ourselves with God and his word. It's amazing how some Christian schools are growing by leaps and bounds, more in the South than they are here in the North. And that's because some people, they don't want to put their kids in a public school system, but not for all the right reasons. They're not nearly as much interested in the focus on God or education surrounding God or God being the center of education. They just want the kids out of a public school system so they don't have to put up with all this stupid stuff all this worldly garbage that exists out there in the world. And so we're going to look at several methods Satan uses to intimidate believers, even today. Uh, some people won't broach a subject. They won't get involved in a, in a topic or a discussion because they don't want to be yelled at, screamed at, bullied, pushed, shoved to one thing or another. And so David is writing here in Psalm 59, uh, those who were trying to intimidate this young man, now, a little bit of the background there, if you would, and that is that David is not king yet. David has been anointed. David has killed Goliath. And David has been pressed into the service of King Saul. And David was doing King Saul's business. He was doing King Saul's bidding. And he was, he was very successful at going out in battle, leading men and coming back victorious. Well, what was the problem? 
The problem was that when David came back, the women were singing, David has killed his ten thousands and Saul his thousands. That didn't sit too well with King Saul. And so Psalm 59 and verse 1, David says, Deliver me from mine enemies, O my God. Defend me from them that rise up against me. And so we're looking back at a time when uh, David was anointed but not king. Saul's jealous and Saul's going to kill him. Now, some of those men that David went out to battle with and they won these overwhelming victories were men who served under, under, under David. But they also now would become his enemy. And so it seems when we choose to make a biblical stand against sin and sinful behavior, there is never a lack of those ready to confront you when you dare to stand where God stands. If you are genuinely saved tonight and you stand where God stands, get used to the idea that the world doesn't like you very much. And there's no sense in you and I trying to be their best buddies or trying to be their best friends. We don't have to be obnoxious and we don't have to be nasty and mean-spirited. But we stand our ground. And we look at them and say, you know what, you can believe what you want to believe. I'm going to believe what I want to believe. And I'm going to believe what God says. And when I stand before God, I will, I will have a better accounting. And tell them, I'll, I'll, I'll be in the background while you're at the white, great white throne judgment with no hope left whatsoever. So sometimes it, it is even from professing Christians who, who are gullible, who are naive. I wonder how many Christians voted for this president rather than Trump just because they didn't like his mean-spirited mimes or whatever you want to call those things. Well, he may not have been one of the one of the guys that you want to sit down and, and have a kind of a conversation with necessarily. But I mean, you would have thought that Christians would have gotten on their knees and said, Lord, these are the two that are running. Lord, who do we vote for? And you need to be praying, said, Lord, is it gonna be uh, what, eleven of them? Eight eight or eleven tonight. Uh, and uh, you need to say, Lord, I need to see what's going on behind the scenes here. Lord, I can't read their mind, but Lord, you know what's in their heart. And we don't need to send any more of those, what we already have down in what We don't need to send any more down there. And we need to be praying, God, you know what's going on in Washington, D.C. You know what's going on behind closed doors. Lord, you expose that filth and that garbage and that deception and that wickedness. And ask God to expose it. And it's the same thing. We don't know what kind of deals are being made uh, for candidates who are running. But nonetheless, we need to, we, we need, God does. And so, Lord, help us to be sensitive to make the right choices and the right decisions. Because, folks, you can't get it wrong a second time. Right? We can't get it wrong a second time. Because it may well spend the end of a lot of things for us as individuals. You say, well, God really let that? Listen, what do you know about Israel's history? They thought that God would never... Listen, do you think Judah and Benjamin didn't say, well, yeah, God will never let that happen. We have God as a... Guess what? They spent 70 years in captivity. They lost a lot of husbands, a lot of sons, and they lost a lot of women and a lot of lives in that battle between the Babylonians and, and uh, the Judites and the Benjamites. Lost a lot of people. Because they sat back and thought that I can do what I want to do. I can live how I want to live. And God 
He's going to make sure that we're okay. Well, you can think that if you want to, but it's a fool's mission, that's for sure. So mostly, though the unsaved have no problem confronting believers, whether it is over abortion, same-sex marriages, living together in adultery, or sexual dysphoria, or you go down, you can list any number of things. They don't have much worthwhile to say, so they just yell, and they scream, and they bully, and they threaten, and they use violence to intimidate. And it's amazing how easily we are intimidated. I kind of wonder how David felt. You know, standing up on the mountaintop and looking at Goliath way down there. <laughs> it was a little bit different story when he's getting a little bit closer. And closer. And he begins to realize that I'm just a, I'm just a young boy. That guy's over nine feet tall. But he kept going. He said, I am not going to be intimidated. Even though Goliath mocked him, he said, my God will deliver you into my hands. And he did. And so we have to stop being intimidated. You have every bit as much constitutional right and you have as much biblical authority that God can possibly give you to speak the truth against wickedness. So David, as I said, hasn't reached the throne yet. He, uh, he has killed Goliath in battle, called into service by the king Saul, having uh, behaved himself wisely, faithful to the king. And David is being elevated as a hero uh, among the people. And you can read that in 1 Samuel chapter 18, uh, verses 6 through 12, if you want to mark it down. And those who favored the king uh, piled, uh, piled on. Did I miss a point there? No, piled on in their... Uh, uh, in their endeavor to get David and to enhance their position with the king by turning on by turning on David, because King Saul was jealous. I mean, it says right there in the Bible. If you go back to the First Kings, you see there that Saul was jealous, and I believe at that point he knew that David had been anointed. He knew that David was going to ascend to the throne and he did not want to give up his throne. He did not want his son Jonathan to lose access to the throne. Although Jonah, uh, Jonah, Jonathan was smarter than his father by leaps and bounds. So in Psalm 59 verse 1 are the words rise up. And it means to confirm or to stand up. And he says uh, in verse, verse 1, he said, Deliver me from mine enemies, O my God. Defend me from them that rise up against me. So there were those who were going to make Doag. We dealt with Doag back a few psalms ago, if you remember him. Uh, he saw an opportunity to aggrandize himself with King Saul. So he came back to King Saul and said, Hey, listen, guess, guess who I saw? I just saw David. Saul sent down 3,000 soldiers to get David. And so... It is the piling on effect when one chooses to attack privately. But bad enough, but openly, it is an invitation for others who have an issue to join in on. And you'd be surprised that you may be one finding yourself standing against many, many. Uh, Maybe at work, maybe even in your family. You may have a number of your own family who doesn't stand with you the way you stand. It's uh, like a feeding frenzy, if you will, to destroy someone or at the very least to intimidate them into silence or retreating and refusing to speak again. So Saul's feelings of hatred have become common knowledge, 
having festered for some time, and now it's open season on King or up on David. So just be forewarned, folks, that we have been called to stand. Amen. We have been called to stand, not to run and not to retreat. That's why the armor in Ephesians chapter 6, there isn't any protection for a retreat. Only to stand and to face the enemy. And so Ephesians 6.13. And the Apostle Paul says, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. And it would be good for us as believers to understand what that armor is so that we can stand. And it's not just one item. We need it all. And uh, so he said, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. We live in an evil day. And evil is manifesting itself every day, almost every hour of the day. And we've got to stand. Now, they may not like it. They may not even like you. But you're not here to be popular. You're not here to be a bosom buddy with the world. We're here to be a bosom buddy with the Lord. And to stand where the Lord, where he stands. Now, real quickly, just went over Philippians chapter 1. And verse 27. And Paul says there to the believers in Philippi, he says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come or see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He also says over in chapter 4 and verse 1, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. And that's how we stand. We don't stand because we're geniuses or maybe because we're eloquent, but we stand because we have the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're standing with him as he is standing with us and encouraging us and leading us as well. First Peter chapter 3 and verse, verse 15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is that is in you with meekness and fear. So we're not to be belligerent, we're not to be antagonistic. We're just going to state the truth as God states the truth. Give them the biblical principles and the precepts. If they take it, they take it. If they don't, that's their problem. But the word answer in there is the Greek word obligia, which doesn't mean that you're in an obligation. Uh, but it, it's, it's the idea there is it's a verbal defense. So when you hear someone use the word apologetics, they're talking about uh, literally a verbal defense of the gospel. Now, Christ doesn't need me to defend the gospel. He just needs me to stand and preach the gospel or to share the gospel, to share the good news. And so, very quickly here. Um, yeah, this second one's going to be very quick. Uh, the second thing is tonight that Satan will use uh, some to threaten us into intimidation. The first one there simply uh, was uh, very similar. Psalm 59 and verse 2, uh, the Bible says there, Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloody men. So, we do live in uncertain times where threats exist, uh, whether by break-ins or, or being accosted in public. 
carjacked or bullied uh, by shakedown and things that you can't pray around an abortion clinic without the fear of getting arrested and thrown into jail. Uh, you, you can't have an, uh, uh, an Aspire Together ministry that reaches out to uh, young pregnant women who have no idea what to do and where to go or uh, what it means uh, for them in, in the area of responsibility and the, the importance of keeping the baby. Um, they're coming under attack. Uh, if you dare to speak up against same-sex marriages, you just, uh, talk about sexual dysphoria. Uh, I mean, listen, there are some people out there, doctors and medical profession, who are speaking up against it and saying how horrible it is and how wrong it is. But the money grabbers, the greedy, they don't care. It means more money for them. Psychiatrists don't care because it means more money for them because once they're trying to deal with this change, listen, you, you, you can't change the DNA. So you may be able to change the physical appearance of an individual. You may be able to give them hormones to coincide with whatever the change is, but you can't change the DNA. The, the DNA is what the DNA is, and it's determined at that particular point what gender you're going to be. And it's not going to unwire, and it's not going to change the, the, the mental ascent of what that is. And so that's why so many of them are having serious, serious problems a little later down the road, some sooner than others along the way. But you have the brain dead, and you really have the godless out there that somehow think that, that, that it's okay to put people through this as young as six and seven years of age. Well, those parents ought to be shipped out to outer space somewhere. Next rocket out to the moon. <laughs> But caution is always the better part of valor. But when it comes to public discourse, the ungodly will always be lurking and ready for confrontation. If they sense that you have a shirt on that they don't like, they don't agree. How about that gender business? I mean, someone from, was it from Harvard, has these new gender descriptions, ZEs and ZEMs. I'm thinking to myself, how did they ever get their PhDs? How did they ever get through school? It's a shame to see someone spend all that time getting educated only to try to be a moron. That would come right down to it. And that's really what they are. But somehow it makes, they think they're making the world a better place. Our young people can't even deal with these and thous. How are they going to deal with Zems and Zoos and whatever else they've got coming up? Amen. Good night. So anyway, when I say caution is always, we're going to close with this in Acts chapter 5. Now, Acts chapter 5 is the setting. Peter and some of the disciples had been preaching. And they had been preaching against the sins of the time. And in the process, they have been preaching against the indifferences of the spiritual leaders. Sadducees, Pharisees, scribes, and so on. And so they don't like it. And so they send the temple police, so to speak, soldiers. And they're going to bring in Peter and his group. And they're going to put them before and do all they can do to intimidate them. So we pick it up in Acts chapter 5, looking in verse 24. Now when the high priest and the captain of the, pe of the temple... And the chief priests heard these things, they doubted of them, whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are, are standing in the temple and teaching the people. 
Hmm. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. So they were intimidated by the people that were watching and observing, and they were scared to death that they would get stoned because the, the people agreed with what Peter was teaching and preaching. And so goes on. Verse 27, it says, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, which is what they were supposed to do, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Well, they're the ones who said, Let, it, let his blood be on us and our children. They're the ones who made that comment. So then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. And so they made a decision. We're not going to be intimidated. We're going to do what God called us to do. We're going to speak up. And so they did. They didn't get aggressive about it. So David is, is quite aware that there are men who are lurking in the shadows, waiting for an opportunity to do David harm and to aggrandize themselves with King Saul. Now, no doubt David knew that most of his enemies, perhaps not verbalized, uh, but uh, however, their pressure always caused David some grave concern. He was always looking over his shoulder. Now, we live more than anyone could have imagined that there are people who are traumatized when you use the wrong pronouns. And they weep and they cry, or they call the police, or they have you reported to human resources, and you get called in, and you get told, and you go right back out, and you just do the same thing again, unless you can't afford to lose your job. Best thing to do is don't say anything to them. I am a biblical. I am a biblicist first. And foremost, I'll honor God first, and I'll honor God foremost. I can be kind in doing so, but I'll not be intimidated into some flaky, misguided, non-sense that exists today. So let's not be intimidated. Let's just go out there, do what God's called us to do, smile when they get upset, And then turn around and just walk away. And you could probably have one of those little t-shirts that has a writing on the back that says, you're an idiot. <laughs> that wouldn't be nice. That wouldn't be nice at all. But listen, they don't know any different. They don't know any better. They really don't. But it does tell us what's been going on in the school system for a long time. A lot of touchy, feely, gobbledygook nonsense that's going on. It's up in our universities and it's filtered down into the school system. So we are the voice of God. And we need to make sure that when we speak, we speak the truth. And that we do so in love. And that we care. Best thing to do is just say, you know what, I'm going to be praying for you. And then just walk away. Well, we have our prayer list before us here tonight. Steve, we can't hear you, but I'm going to give you group, group number one. <laughs> Do you have something to put on there, Chris? 
Can you add a pregnancy? Does Jack, does Jack know? <laughs> okay. Nice and loud so I can hear. So the baby needs to turn or it already did, that was the phrase. Okay. Because she was supposed to have a C section. Now she is Okay, so that's good. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's right. So Kendra and Caleb have had a baby. It's a what? A girl, Adeline Grace. Well, they said they'd notify me when they did, so we'll see if they keep it up in the email. All right, sounds good. Any others that we need to add real quick before? All right, so we'll start with this group back there. Those two. Tom and Vicki, would you do group number one together? It's easier when we do a couple. Um, 